0: Welcome to the CEO Sales Insights Podcast. I'm your host, Tony Hughes, and I am so excited to bring you real-world insights from legendary CEOs on how to drive and sustain top-line growth and create a customer-centric culture. Whether you're an aspiring or seasoned corporate leader, You'll hear wisdom with real-world application that can make a real difference in your business. But we also provide insights here for sales professionals seeking to elevate to the C-suite. As a seller, you'll better understand how a CEO actually thinks and what it really takes to earn a conversation. Let's jump in with this episode's CEO. CEO. So without any further ado, I'd really love to introduce uh, my next guest. And I just love Karen. She's a fantastic leader. She's built an incredible business. So she's founder and head of content at The Growth Faculty. And she started her business in 2003 from a small Sydney office. And she set out to achieve her ambitious mission to give business leaders access to the world's best strategic thinkers and high achievers. And wow, she's done an incredible job of that. She's had People like Nobel laureates are on for for her members. Hillary Clinton, previous Secretary of State for the USA. She's had President Barack Obama, Michelle Obama, TED Talk sensations like Simon Sinek and Tim Ferriss, even actor George Clooney. And she makes those people available to leaders around the world. She had to do a big pivot in COVID, and she'll actually talk about that. But through the growth faculty, she's had the privilege of living her personal mission daily which is provoking change and growth in business and people through industry leading insights and powerful considered connections. She has over 20 years experience in curating and producing events and content. And the growth faculty is now educating business executives and leaders across the globe. So without any further ado, Karen, welcome and thanks for being on the program. Thanks Tony, good morning. It's a pleasure to be here and thank you for that warm introduction. You're absolutely welcome. Huge fan of the business. And I had the the privilege, uh, my first visit to a physical premise after the COVID lockdowns finished, about four months of lockdowns in Sydney was with you and your team. And I really enjoyed working with your sales leader, Stephen, and the team at the time. So you've got a great business.
1: Yeah, thank you. And they really enjoyed it too. And they've been applying what they've learned and it's making a difference. So thanks very much.
0: That's great. Hey, Yum. Why don't we kick off? Would you mind providing just, just a brief overview of your company's value proposition, maybe even how you started the business, but then the value proposition and, and what your go-to-market strategy is? That'll really help people contextualize the information that you're going to share with them today.
1: Sure. Thanks. So as you said, you know, back in 2003, I launched um, the business and really came out of an uh, experience that I had with MYOB, actually. We managed their GST seminars. And what we did was, you know, it was a fee-for-service. I was a management fee-for-service event provider. And uh, in, during the transition, they wanted to provide half-day seminars for their, for their business owners and bookkeepers around what to expect with the GST. So what happened as a result of that is we end up, you know, registering 40,000 business owners over 140 seminars across Australia. And through that process, which was pre-online registration, by the way, it was back in 2000, we, we were on the receiving end of phone calls, right? And, you know, they're, they're frustrated. You know, we, we're hearing about all their challenges. So, you know, at the end of that, I was thinking, wow, you know, what if we could do? And there was such an appetite for this, you know, and it obviously came out of fear, you know, like we don't know what to expect. You know, and when you're a business owner anyway, there's, it's always about uncertainty. And I thought, well, what if we could provide outside of GST you know, content for these business owners to help them with their own leadership and to grow their business. So we launched the business with a gentleman by the name of Michael Gerber, um, the author of The E-Myth. Have you heard
0: of him? Yes. I'm I'm a huge fan of The E-Myth book. Every entrepreneur should read that book. It's essential.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, so I launched. It was the first time I, I, I mean, my background is in events, right? Organizing events. But it's the first time I actually took, a, you know, said, I'm going to take ownership of this. I'm going, to, I'm going to take the risk on it. I'm going to promote this event. I will pay the speaker, bring them across. And, and at that time, conferences were about $1,000 a day. You know, it just really wasn't geared for small business operators. So we did half day you know, $175 and we had two and a half thousand people turn up, right? So that was my first event. I thought, wow, this is great. (laughs) Let's do more of this. So that's where we started. And, you know, it was, you know, an operation of one and two. I had my first employee in 2004 and we slowly grew and we started bringing out other speakers. And really the idea was to give Australian business owners access to the world's best thinkers, right? So primarily international speakers. So so that's what we did pre-pandemic. And obviously the profile of the speakers grew and grew. You know, we've had Jim Collins as well Pat Lancioni um, Marcus Buckingham all those leadership speakers so we've delivered our content primarily through live in person events. Of course the pandemic hit in 2020 and it was 2 weeks before our biggest event where we had 12,000 people going across three events um, with a speaker called Simon Sinek so we had to move pretty quickly to a cancel that event and then move it virtual which we did. And so since then you know, we've kept our mission, right? So we do still bring the world's best, but we do it in, on a virtual platform now. And we now move to an e-learning platform. And our value proposition, you know, since we iterated, we started with masterclasses, we were wrapped at people that people would started to buy <laughs> because a lot of content online is free. And but they still saw the value, we had the benefit of an 80,000 base really to to market to as well, which was our history since 2003. So we went to market with masterclasses. And over the last 12 12 to 18 months, we now have produced a leadership pass, which gives everyone unlimited access to all our virtual events over a 12-month period. Right. So for 400 Australian dollars, you can still get the likes of Jim Collins, Pat Lencioni, Marcus Buckingham, and you can come in and out as you want. So it's high value. So it's, you know, we're going for the volume game. It's really about education at scale. And we've actually tapped into a new market because before we were CEOs of mid-market companies that didn't really have the budget to bring in these speakers and, you know, or their customers, which big end of town generally do, to now, you know, we've brought in sort of the L&D and executive teams within large organizations. So we now have two markets opened up, right? So it's been absolutely an amazing journey over the last 18 months. The opportunity is, is, is quite extraordinary, and we're on a learning curve. We're sort of back in startup mode, but our membership has quadrupled in the last 12 months. So we're really excited.
0: Karen, that's amazing, and I'd really like to dig into a couple of things here. You've had to, well, not had to, but you've changed your business from an event business where you're selling a, a one-time ticket to a one-time event, to I guess more of a subscription business, right? Where it's it's more like a membership, and they and they get a twelve-month pass. That's the holy grail for every business these days, right? They they want to smooth out their their revenue and create a compound growth curve with revenue as well through subscriptions and annuity but here's the really interesting thing you're competing against just tons tons of free content out in the world um like you've got a reasonably big sales team now so how, how do you compete against free
1: i think it's the again it's the value proposition so free generally means that there is a sale on the end of it right so you know all that content on, on youtube you know basically you get snippets of it what we do is we provide it in a 90 minute session it's it's an education 90 minutes right so interestingly you know when we did simon sinek you know in in november 2020 you could see seen simon all over the world yet you know we still had people paying because they knew they were getting you know five hours you know uh, directed questions really tailored to the learning journey right so i think people have come to understand i think with the growth faculty the quality of content that we provide and generally because our biggest competitor was actually the sales seminar they bring in speakers to sell product at the end of it which is which is which is one style of business model whereas we're purely education and we we're not necessarily selling anything on the back of that either we're not selling a ten thousand dollar product this is what it is. And so people are paying for it. So the, the production value has to be incredibly high. The content has to be incredibly high. And the quality the expectation of the quality of speaker is really high. And you know, once we once we secure a speaker, we never have any worries about that. You know, we always know that the quality of content is going to be quite high. So people will pay for that. They pay for what they get.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Let's let's talk about your sales team. So for all organizations today that have maybe blended models of, of that outbound person that creates leads and then the people that seek to close them and then manage the client inside and outside sales functions, everything is has turned into being inside sales. How has your sales team adapted in the pandemics? You've changed the way you're delivering your product. Did it make any changes to how you sell as an organization? Oh, absolutely. You
1: know, as you said, we were live in person events business. So it was highly transactional, right? So we've moved to a membership subscription model. It's it's very, very different. With, with the live events, you know, live events business, you have a deadline, right? So there's an event that's happening on this date. That's it. It's immovable. We also have the scarcity um, and exclusivity factor because we would bring international speakers in. So there was general knowledge that you know, Jim Collins doesn't come here very often. You know, Marcus Buckingham's not here. You know, Hillary Clinton. So people understood that it was a once-in-a-lifetime or once-in-a-five-year kind of opportunity. So that was easy for us, right? So people were either available or not, There were fans or not, and it was, it was an easy sell, easier sell. With, with membership, however, we don't necessarily have that deadline date. So it's a lot more consultative Right, and it's actually a lot more interesting because you really have to understand the problem of your customer. You, it's a consultative process. What problem are we solving? And whilst we honestly believe we've got a differentiated product in the market, and we can compete with the free content and the LinkedIn Learnings and you know all the other education providers, we still need to take the time to explain it, right? And we have to do demos. And and once they see what it provides, then then it makes it a lot easier for us. So there is more of a journey to the close. And we really have to understand who the customer is and what problem we're solving. And as you say, what trigger events are happening around them. What's delightful for us at the moment, we're really talking to the challenges, you know, the product to market fit right now. Obviously, you know, everyone's talking about the great resignation, but really underneath that, that's around engagement. It's around culture. You know, it's around reskilling your your team in order to keep them, so they're not moving. And our product really talks to that those three I, I think primary pain points I think for a lot of organizations
0: right now. Product market fit is so important for for any business. I find so many CEOs that are frustrated with growth haven't really done the hard work of honestly considering product market fit and therefore their ideal customer profile you know, they're just thinking the whole world's a market for what they do. And, you know, why aren't these sellers doing a better job? So, you know, we need to nail product market fit, even adopt a product-led marketing, product-led selling strategy Mm. that's augmented by people. So this really leads me into my next question. To to me, you've got a great sales team. What, What do you look for in salespeople? So for other leaders that are watching this, one of the toughest things that we do as leaders is to hire the right sellers, right? It seems to be incredibly difficult. So so how would you define the ideal salesperson in your kind of world?
1: I hungry, humble and
0: smart. So okay. hungry, <laughs> humble and smart. That's something um, we can all remember.
1: Yes. That's that's Patrick Lancioni. So I've got to give credit where that's due. But when I talk about hungry, they really want to own their numbers, right? And they want to be accountable. They're also not afraid of the phone. They pick up the phone and make the phone calls. They want to reach their targets. They're competitive. You know, there's there's healthy competitiveness within the team. So that's the hungry element. The humble is they're always asking questions. They want to learn. How do I do this better? You know, how can I improve my skills? How do I get to know the customer better? And, and tapping into the collective intelligence of the team, right? So it's always learning. And smart is really knowing the product, right? Understanding the customer and really understanding the art of the clothes potentially, when to move in, when to, when not to. But it's just around skill base of that salesperson. So, I think those are the three elements.
0: So, a lot of those are personality, mindset, intelligence things, and I agree with all of them. When it comes to actual skills, things that you can develop in people, what are what are the skills you're looking for in someone? So, so you want a mindset where they're not afraid to pick up the phone and call, right? Mm-hmm. What are, What are the skills that you look for in people?
1: I guess it's the skills really, and I don't know if this actually falls into personality as well, is the ability to handle rejection because you get a lot of no's, right? Yes. And it's kind of like this next mentality. But again, that comes down to mentality. You know, I think 90% of it is head case, right? And 10% is skills. I honestly believe that. And so from a skill perspective, because you could teach skills you know handling objections, I guess, you know, being able to handle that and being able to address their needs as they need it. so that that's just the consultative process, I guess you know and the challenge of sale. so being able to you know establish rapport really quickly and understand when to move in, when to back off and and when to kind of close. So I, I feel that's teachable if you've got the right mindset.
0: yeah, i I really agree with that and and being teachable, you know, is so important because although we can teach the skills, unless they are teachable, it's kind of a waste of time. The 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 thing that frustrates me so much, Karen, is I I predict in my latest book, Tech Powered Sales, that a third of field sellers will disappear this decade. In the circles that I move in, which is largely software and technology companies, Mm -hmm. it's common for 40 to 70% of sellers to not be making their number. And the thing that just frustrates me so much is Salespeople can make as much money as doctors, dentists, lawyers, accountants, airline pilots. And all of those professions have to be 100% committed to staying current. You know, like an an airline pilot is reading about every air air crash investigation report. They stay current on all of the updates on the aircraft they fly. They have to develop their TQ, their technical quotient. They must learn how to use all of the tools and tech in their profession. And yet, so many sellers act like you know, hey, I'm great at relationships. You know, I, I don't really need to learn anymore. So if, if they're not teachable, you can't teach them. So, you, so you're right; it all comes back to mindset. It all comes back to mindset.
1: Yeah, I agree, and and that's the hungry part. It's, and it's and it's your own it's your own determination to be better. You know, you're competing against yourself. And you know, I just the experience. I, I mean, salespeople can make you know be one of the highest earners in any organization, right? You know, just the opportunity to earn is is unlimited. Yeah. And so, yeah, it, you need to put in the, right, the effort in the right place.
0: Yeah. Hey, Karen, um, we're going to move to Q&A in about 10 minutes. So I just encourage uh, everyone watching this on LinkedIn Live, please type your, your questions for myself, but ideally for Karen. If you can type them into the comments, uh, we'll, we'll move into a Q&A section at the end of this. Karen, let's maybe change gears. We've we've been having a conversation designed to really help CEOs or leaders trying to drive growth, and there's been some great some great insights from you with that. Let's maybe now turn to some insights for salespeople. So, for an aspiring salesperson that's wanting to figure out how do I actually get to and then engage successfully someone in the C-suite. So if you look at, at your own sales team and how they operate, but then also consider people trying to sell to you because you're a mm-hmm. business owner, let's contrast how many LinkedIn in-mails you maybe get in a week, how many emails you receive in a week versus how many people actually call you and w- what do you think is the most effective channel? So talk about those three channels and, and what tends to work for you if someone's trying to break through.
1: Sure. Um, I, I hardly get any phone calls. That's that's very rare. So mainly from real estate actually at the moment. <laughs> 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 and They're obviously doing very well at the moment. So LinkedIn, a majority, most of them come via LinkedIn, right? And I guess my 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 pet hate about LinkedIn, because I think it's a very effective sales tool if it's used correctly, is that people want to connect with you and then immediately as you connect the sales message comes straight after, and it's a long message about what they can offer you. And it's just this blanket. And it's uh, it's extraordinary missed opportunity, really. So I really dislike that. And interestingly, I mean, I, I really accept most people on LinkedIn. I, I, I've moved from kind of, oh, I need to know them and moving in the same, same <laughs> circle to, to like accepting everyone, but I know who the salespeople are. And when I accept without doubt, <laughs> within the next two minutes, then comes the answer. So I smile. I smile. There's very few that I actually, I don't think there's any I've responded to. It's the phone calls that I have. And as far as emails, I do get the odd email. Absolutely. And I think people are aware that we have moved, obviously, you know, technology-based, you know, live events that's delivered virtually. So we are getting a few reach outs via email on platforms, et cetera. So I think email and LinkedIn can be more effective, but it's the phone calls. It's the phone calls that really happen. And, uh, you know, the best time too, for me, you know, eight to nine in the morning, or, I mean, just don't call on a Monday, Mondays are for meetings. Uh, yeah. and get started. But eight to nine, potentially an odd lunchtime and, you know, and, and potentially Fridays, because I, I leave my Fridays open to kind of fill in as needed for planning, Anything that's come up during the week that I can close out for the week, but
0: yeah, um, very. Cool. Let me just summarize some things here for salespeople because this is all gold, and this is a consistent theme when I when I talk to all CEOs. The message is universally the same. Hardly anybody calls, <laughs> so uh, I would really encourage you to get back on the phone if you're wanting to break through to a CEO. And I share Karen's view. When I was CEO uh, running the Asia Pacific region for North American multinationals, for me as well, it was meetings Monday. (laughs) So so Monday was just filled with meetings. I tend to do my travel during Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. I never liked to travel on a Friday because getting back into a big city on a Friday evening is is just chaotic and a nightmare, and it's a bad way to try and start your weekend. I like Karen. I uh, would get in early, so for me, I was always in the office working by about seven thirty in the morning, because I thought I've got that one hour to ninety minute window where people aren't standing at my door, uh, <laughs> and my day goes to hell. So you sort of get an hour in the beginning of the day before everybody's working. So so that one hour window before the normal workday is gold. I agree with Karen that 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 the lunchtime break. So you should really consider as a seller. Making your lunch time early, so I'd encourage you maybe to start work at seven thirty instead of nine fifteen, and and begin your day with a Red Bull of coffee and phone calls to to the C suite, and then maybe have your lunch early between eleven and twelve, and then between twelve and one thirty, you know you're on the phone again. So generally avoid Mondays before people before most people have started work is a great time to call CEOs lunchtime and lunchtime can be good. And, and Karen, for you. Friday is generally a pretty clear day, whereas Monday is a busy day with meetings. Is that true?
1: That's correct, yeah. So I generally meet with my leadership team on Monday on, for one-to-ones and to get the week started. And yeah, and so by Friday, I, I tend to keep that free. Yeah. And you'd find most CEOs are in some sort of routine that suits their you know, their week. I mean, the other time that's also very interesting is the end of the day, you know, when they're winding, winding down. You know, most CEOs, are, you'll find them after five o'clock between five and seven, wrapping up five and 6.30. So that's another opportune time to to reach out.
0: Yeah. And, and the other thing for salespeople watching this, if if you are going to a, to, to a company phone number rather than someone's cell phone directly, those shoulders of the day are often when the EA is not screening. <laughs> so, you know, you, you tend to get the person directly. So Karen, let's just circle back to LinkedIn. So you tend to get bombarded in LinkedIn by people trying to sell to you. So we, we all need to remember the rule, never try and connect and sell. You wanna separate the process of connecting with somebody to then providing some value for them in the coming weeks, I would suggest. And then you can run some outreach. So then it's no longer cold. And you need to do that in a way that's not disingenuous. So it really needs to be authentic. So LinkedIn's the number one platform that people are trying to use and you're not getting a lot of emails. I find a lot of leaders are getting bombarded with email as well. Let's maybe pivot though to message. You know, what what are your thoughts about the right message? What do you see with most salespeople that try and contact you? Where are they missing the mark? What's your advice to them?
1: Well, they're telling us all about them. It's like, this is what we're doing. Thought you might be interested. When really they should be starting is like, you know, I understand this may be your problem right now. You know, can we help? Or, you know, what's, what's missing for you right now? What's your pain point right now? I mean, open up with a level of question, questioning, I think, in order to establish whether you can, whether you have a product that, you, that the CEO actually wants. So I just feel you got to start with, you know, your, your framework of why change, why now, why us? Everyone starts with a why us. And, and most of the time, I think 90% of the time, you're not even needing the product that they're actually reaching out to about. So I think it's identifying whether you can engage and whether um, the CEO or whoever you're selling to is, is looking for change. You have to identify that first.
0: Yeah. And for everybody watching this, the, the really interesting thing is that if we talk about us and what we do, will typically appeal to only 3% of the market. So at any point in time, 3% of the market is actively looking for what it is we offer. And if you make 100 phone calls or send 100 emails, maybe three out of the 100, if you're lucky, we go, actually, we're in the market for that. The problem with that is often it's this red ocean because your competitors are all talking to them already as well. But if you can build a conversation narrative about how that person can drive improved results in their role, So if you've got some genuine insights on how they can improve business results, so you talk about the opportunity to drive improved results at the top level. That's what you lead with. And then under that, you talk about the strategy that's used to achieve the result. And then under that, you finally get to what it is that you do that actually enables it. If you can can flip the script, to use uh, Beck, Beck Holland's term, if you can flip the script to actually reverse it, Uh, you'll appeal to sort of 43% of the market rather than just 3%. So so that's really important.
1: Yeah. And as as a whole, I mean, you don't have to know exactly what's going on, but have a general sort of industry knowledge. So for instance, you know, when the pandemic hit, everyone's obviously moving to virtual, right? Now, the big thing about virtual everyone's talking about is, oh, well, the networking opportunity around live virtual events, being able to connect with people and, and giving it a really fantastic virtual experience for people rather than just sort of streaming through. So, you know, a great place to start would be, well, I see you you've moved to live virtual events. What about your customer experience while, you know, during that live experience? You know, are you are you able to cater? Is that something you want to improve? Because that's the number one that's the number one challenge that people that run live virtual events wants to improve is that that engagement process during the live experience so that it's just not a one-way you know, conversation and you and you have your viewers that are not necessarily engaged in the process, right? So if you can nail that and sort of, and that was a general kind of challenge that everyone was trying to solve. And obviously in the last 12 months, there's been a lot of technology providers that are trying to solve that problem and the features have just obviously, you know, escalated massively. So there's so much choice in that in that area right now.
0: Yes. Karen, ballpark level, what percentage of salespeople meet your expectations? Like, so when when you look at all this sales outreach coming at you, mainly in LinkedIn, what percentage of what percentage of it do you think nails it versus misses the mark? Three percent. Wow, that's for, for 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 all the salespeople watching this. Most salespeople are not good at what they do. They, like it's a, it's a big problem. Corporate Executive Board, now owned by Gartner, did some research as part of the Challenger Sale book and body of research that was done. They surveyed 5,000 people that make buying decisions. So they weren't just people in procurement, they were people in the C-suite. And the response to that survey was that 85% of engagements with sellers fail to meet expectations, right? Karen's saying 97%. Karen, give me an example of where it really did work, right? The seller did a great job and and how that made you feel and how, and how you responded. Sure. It was a few years ago now, I think about three or four years ago. And I, you know, I'm not sure if it was a trigger
1: event, but we were contemplating, oh, we really need an app, an event app, you know, so that we can, you know, live in-person events, we can sort of engage our delegates, you know, on a greater level. And I did get a call out of the blue and it was, you know, we were sort of tossing it up at that time. So, and I remember gentleman was, was really fantastic. Came straight in, he engaged. I mean, if you can... If you can have a conversation within five minutes and you're not wanting to get the person off the phone, they know they have your attention. So I don't know whether that was good luck from his perspective, but his timing was absolutely perfect. And so we we end up engaging and and running with the app. And I think we probably did that a lot sooner than we had anticipated. And that was really down to him and really, you know, sort of displaying the features and and really talking to the, the stuff that we needed to do at the event. And I remember at the end of that process, I was so impressed that I actually asked him if he wanted a job. <laughs> you know, it just happens so infrequently. He was based in Melbourne and unfortunately was moving internationally with his girlfriend at the time. But, you know, the level of service, the responsiveness, I had a thousand questions that I wanted answered. It's the first time we sort of entered into this. We were buying off the shelf. What else can you do? You know, we do this. And he was able to address every single one of those and make us feel comfortable about making that initial investment. So, you know, timing's everything, you know, as you say, around a, a trigger event. And so even if even if a um, buyer is not looking right now and they're thinking about it, you know, they're starting to think about that process, that's the time, right? So the window is actually a little larger than some people anticipate. It's like, okay, we want to, this is the time we want to purchase. There is some thought process that goes to that prior you know, got no idea on length of time that can obviously vary, but you can influence a buyer pre, you know, before they're even ready. I believe, yeah. if you have yeah. the right, if you have the right features for them.
0: Yeah, the really interesting thing is, Karen, you've mentioned a few times uh, tr- trigger events, and that that person that called you contacted. By the way, did they phone you? Was it a phone call?
1: It was a phone call. Yes.
0: Okay, so so that person that <laughs> called you. Happen to be in the right place, at the right time, on the right channel, which was the phone, with the right context. And you know I, I believe that the future of selling is where buyer intent meets seller relevance, and we use technology to figure out where those inflection points are. and monitoring for trigger events is really important.
1: Absolutely.
0: Uh, but 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 Karen, you're dead right. If the seller can talk, talk to the buyer, even pre-actively looking for a solution to their problem, that is by definition strategic selling, right? So we're engaging Mm -hmm. early at senior levels. We're educating them about the business case and the opportunity for a much brighter future, how they can get there in a way that best manages their risks, how they can build the business case, get their team on board. And again, if you have a conversation narrative that's about you and what you do, you'll only appeal to the 3% that are already looking Right, we need to build a conversation about how they can drive improved results. So, so I so I really like that. If you look, if anyone's looking for more information around trigger events, I've got a section on trigger events in tech-powered sales. Karen, let's let's move to another piece here to give some sellers some real insights into the mind of a CEO. When anyone in your organization brings a request to make a to 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 purchase something, right? It's a, it's a purchasing decision. What's your criteria for prioritizing? Cuz every business leader's got lots of different things clamoring for their attention and screaming for resources. So how do you prioritize a buying decision?
1: We I think we we prioritize prior to the, you know, making that that decision on on vendor, for instance. So we have a fairly substantial decision log for every sort of new purchase that we want to make. And obviously we've moved into the technology space. So Therefore, any new vendors, we have a very extensive decision log. We have two or three, you know, obviously vendors, you know, up for the, um, in in for the run, I guess. It comes down to what we need to, like, what our priority, what's going to move the needle in the business right now, right? So we prioritize by what's the one thing we need to solve right now that's going to help us with everything down the line. So we identify that through, you know, our weekly meetings and quarterly business goals. So that's number one. But when you actually... Come to make the decision. We have a decision log, and it, primarily, it was also around the serviceability. You know, through that sales pr- process, as to which vendor will win out in the end. Outside of features as well, if it's very close, because not everyone's going to supply you with everything that you need. So generally, we make a final decision on on the the level of service we've received during the sales process, and the understanding of wh- whether we're going to be a, a small fish in a big pond once the sale uh-huh. is done, and whether that extends beyond that. So
0: is, is that the question you were asking, Tony? Does that answer your question? Yeah, uh, and, and again, there's absolute gold there for salespeople. And, and, and we'll move to questions next. So thanks, Dawn, and thanks, Luke, for your questions. I'll ask them Karen in a moment. Yeah, look, that, that is absolute gold. The thing all of the research shows is that more than 50% of the decision waiting in deciding who to go with comes from that experience they had in engaging them through the sales process brand is about 18 percent the the product or service feature set the features and functions service level piece is also 18 percent really surprisingly for those watching this in the research done again corporate executive board research a five thousand sample set so you know uh good strong empirical data price was only nine percent and yet most sellers if you ask hey why did you lose the deal they go oh we lost based on price but when you talk to people making the buying decisions, it's, it's less than ten percent. More than fifty percent is that engagement experience. So, so I, so I really like that, and that 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 definitely rings true. Hey, Karen. You, oh, sorry, after you, go for it.
1: There's just one point I wanted to make there. What's been interesting over the last couple of months in our vendor selection is when we have decided on which vendor wins out, the, the ones that have lost have come back and say, "Okay, well, we'll give you a forty percent discount." Huh. Um, and that's happened on a number of occasions, and and then the CEO chimes in and sends an email, going, "Hey, you know,
0: is there anything?" Hey, I hey, Karen, can- Karen, I've really got to stop you. I want to ask you a question. How did that make you feel when they said we can give you a forty percent discount now that you selected somebody else?
1: It it didn't sway me at all, and I felt, well, why didn't we start out at that price? You know. Yes. And. And, and how are, you know, your other customers going to feel that have paid full, full price? You know, because that's a challenge I've had with events as well. You know, when we were doing live in-person events, people come and say, can you give us a discount because you've got seats going? There's seats available. You know, we'll come for half, half the price. And I remember having 45-minute conversations with people. <laughs> this is in the early days going, I'm not dropping the price. There's seats going. I'd rather the seat go than drop the price um, to honor everyone that's paid the, the right price. And I didn't want to undervalue The product either and so there's last minute sales for you available so and then that stopped there was an then there was an expectation that we would drop the price as the event got closer if we had seats going so you know because most people are last minute anyway so they're not waiting last minute for the drop right so, yeah, I mean, it's really interesting how the technology businesses are doing this. So it's like 40% is a large drop. And then you go, well, that's great, but how are you going to service us after? And then are we going to be a small customer, you know, in a, in a larger pile, if that makes sense,
0: right? So yeah, you know, and, does, and, and, and does that 40% discount go away at renewal time when we go back to that original price, which they never give you a straight answer on? And Karen, I agree with you, in the technology sector, especially in the software game. That industry has done an incredibly good, but really bad job of educating buyers. If you just wait to our points of desperation, end of quarter, end of financial year, that's when you get your deal. And we've conditioned people to get discounts. And I love the fact that you as the owner and founder of the business are a true believer in the value of what you offer. And you've instilled that belief in your sales team, right? So we don't sell based on price. We don't offer discounts as an incentive. The intrinsic value is there in what we offer. I really love that. Absolutely. Hey, um, can I move into some questions? So uh, Dawn Rollings has got a great question. What would be uh, one newest sales skill we need to have today versus sort of 10 years ago or maybe even two years ago? So maybe think about pre, pre-digital virtual selling because of the pandemic versus post. So what's a, what's a new skill you think that people need? The ability to sell over Zoom.
1: <laughs>
0: yes. So, so you you and I see the bad examples. Do you, do you want me to go or do, or do you want to talk about the bad examples of how people try and sell on Zoom?
1: Ah, well, interestingly, we had an example of someone turning up in their what seemed like pyjamas, you know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, but it seems like... Most things go right now and people can get away with a lot, right? But, yeah, I think still the professional on time, you know, there's always this, oh, running a couple of minutes late, but really making sure that you allow the 15 minutes between meeting and meeting so you're not just hopping out of one and into another. I think that's really yeah. quite important, you know, that you're there on time and available as you you know, um prospective buyer turns up but definitely online digital you know because you have to communicate you have to connect and i personally think it's harder i I, you know i present both virtually and in person even to my team and i find it so much easier
0: to do it in person than i do on zoom or whichever technology we're using that's all great advice let me give some people some tips as well sort out your lighting so i've got a light behind my camera rather than a bright window behind my head if you have bright light behind you your face is so dark Nobody can see your facial expressions. Don't have yourself framed down here in the thing, right? <laughs> don't, don't have the laptop on your lap looking up your nostrils in the ceiling because you're looking down at somebody. You want to look peer-to-peer. Learn to look people in the camera create emotional connection by looking them in the camera rather than looking down here the old time, the whole time. I've seen people with second screens going on where they're talking to the person looking over here at them on the screen to their right or their left. A lot of that goes on. Absolutely. A lot of that's crazy. Just remember you're trying to create emotional connection. Look them in the camera, get them to turn their camera on. That's the first big challenge. Find a way to get the other person to turn their camera on. Sort your audio out. You know, just these basic technical quotient. Again, you're meant to be a sales professional. You're meant to be a sales professional. Sort out your tech. Now, I know we can't control bandwidth issues. You know, that's just horrible. But do all we can to manage the things that you can manage. So so thank you. And, and hey, Karen, that's really important too, Tony.
1: Like yes. all our sales team have the same background, right? So there's no, there's, it's just a leveler. Right.
0: So yeah. And and by the way, if you're using virtual backgrounds, remember that obviously a green or a blue screen behind you. I've got a real bookshelf here, but you need a contrast. If you've got if you've got a, a white colored shirt and then a really light or white colored wall behind you, your shoulder will disappear and you'll become Casper the friendly disembodied sales ghost, <laughs> with just your head or your hands all disappearing the technical term is chroming right you solve that by contrast in the background so hey got a question from 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 Luke Anderson hey Karen how do we get inside your head aka the ceo's head regarding our uh, top of mind trends topics issues you know the, the 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 proverbial what keeps you awake at night as a ceo
1: i think you can find that all online really you could do the research on the industry and, and broadly, you know what keeps there's there's lots of research out there at the moment about what's going on, particularly in the pandemic. For sort of consulting firms, the accounting firms, yeah. they've all got research, and you know so, and and they're producing papers all the time. So you can really gather that information online before you make the call, and then you narrow it down potentially to the and then get down to organizational level. So what that particular organization may be dealing with, and because it, it's quite broad, you know people's, what keeps CEOs awake at night is there's no one, there's no unique, you know, problem that a CEO has that's not sort of generic and that they, most CEOs have. Um, yeah. And that's something I learned quite quickly, you know. So you look at it at the industry level, you know, at the position level, so what their what their role and responsibility is, we'll do some research around that and then potentially, you know, at also their organizational level within the industry and what challenges and and potentially on their website, you can see, you know what what changes they're making. Sign up to their blog, you know. Sign up mo- sign up to their newsletter, and you can get a pretty. So it's it's all about research, really, and spending the time before you call.
0: Yeah, yeah. great advice. Question here from from the co-founder of Sales IQ, like my business partner Luigi Prestonenzi. How do you manage to persuade such awesomely great speakers to present at your events mm-hmm. outside of payment? Obviously, you pay them to speak, but but how do you convince them to come and speak for you? Well, we—it's a good question. Give away my trade secret here. Well, you pay amazing money. How could they say <laughs> no?
1: <laughs> it's a combination of both. I do value their time, so you know, and in order to deliver high-quality content, we do value their time. I, I think there's a trust element as well. There's a massive trust element, so it's a relationship. And yeah. what they're doing is, and especially you know, the high-profile speakers you know, they're they're handing over their brand to you because we are a promoter of them. So they need to trust that you're going to do the right thing by them. A, you're going to position them in the way that they are meant to be positioned. The quality of the event, whether it's virtual or whether it's in person, is of their standard. And that you are going to look after their brand and represent them well. So what you're going to deliver, what you say you're going to deliver, you actually do deliver. So it's really around trust and building trust. And we have built a reputation amongst, you know, um, sort of the speaking faculty around the world, you know, we've been in business for 20 years. So it's getting easier. You know, at first it was um, it was quite tough. And even if you're paying people to come out, it's an opportunity cost, right? So like, what do you, what is the ROI? Because most of our speakers want to have impact, right? And the time they're giving in, there's, there's gonna be a multiplier effect. So at first I was like, oh, come out to Australia. We'll, we'll throw up, we'll give you a holiday. You know, they're not interested in that. They're like, I want to know what impact I'm going to have on your audience. Yes. And I want to know what sort of reach you're going to get. And most of our speakers want to have impact. And if you can prove that out, then, you know, you, you'll have their ear. So,
0: And for everybody listening to this as a seller, that's the intent that you want to convey. You are all about your customer success their brand, their results, managing their risks rather than yourself. And Karen, I've got to say that that was my experience being a paid speaker for the growth faculty, right? Like when I was invited to speak, I felt privileged. The experience that I had was incredible. And I loved the fact that this was helping me extend my reach in the marketplace to make a difference. It wasn't about the money. I I didn't even ask you what the fee was going to be. Like you said, it's a paid engagement, I didn't ask. I just thought this is an organization with an incredible brand. This will help extend my reach and influence I'm in. And isn't it interesting? It never came down to, all. Well, what's the speaker's fee? So, so that's fantastic. Hey, we've really just gone a fraction over time. So I just want to wrap up, Karen, with my last two questions that I ask everybody. The first one's really easy. What's the best way for people to follow and connect with you? linkedin, <laughs> LinkedIn and, and and they can go to the growthfaculty.com that's your website that's yeah correct yes absolutely yep yes, and uh, thanks and, tony for picking up for me there no, that's <laughs> okay. and, 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 <laughs> and and for all leaders or aspiring leaders i really encourage you to buy one of those 12-month passes to the content it's incredible to get access to people like jim collins and just amazing speakers yeah. here's my last question If you could magically go back in time and meet the 25-year-old Karen Beattie, what advice would you give yourself?
1: Don't compare your life with others. You know, it's your journey. It's your timing. You know, you live your life for you. And I I mean, everyone, I'm not too sure if you've heard of the Steve Jobs commencement speech back in 2005. There's there's a there's a line in there, and I, I think actually as a 25 year old, everyone should read that commencement speech. It's quite extraordinary. But there's a line out of there is, that he says is, you know, your time is limited. Don't waste your time living someone else's life.
0: I think that's really so poignant. Wow, wow. And that's a and that's a beautiful way to finish. I'm sorry we didn't get to all of the questions. Thanks everybody for attending. I'll see you at the next CEO Sales Insights Show. I really encourage you to go and visit salesiqglobal.com, an amazing array of content for salespeople. Karen Beatty, thank you again so much for being on the show.